welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23rd, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. Today we continue our two-part series with David Siegel, the founder and CEO of Westgate Resorts, the largest privately held timeshare business in the world. He and his family were featured in a reality show as they began building a 90,000-square-foot home in Orlando, Florida, just as the real estate market crashed. But nothing could prepare him for the impact that would have on his family, particularly his oldest daughter, Victoria, who struggled with depression and substance abuse the rest of her life after appearing on the show. When she died in 2015 of a drug overdose, David gave up running the day-to-day operations of his company to dedicate his life to fighting the opioid crisis. Last time, he shared how he quickly learned that some of our leaders responsible for addressing this epidemic weren't close enough to the issue to make any real change. David took to traveling the country, meeting with those struggling with addiction and people in recovery to learn all he could about the opioid epidemic from the front lines. He quickly became an expert in the field, and he took his fight to Congress and was really committed to make rapid and meaningful change. As we pick up our discussion with David Siegel today, he shares what happened next after his testimony before Congress. The bill passed the next day almost unanimously. I think there was one dissenting vote, and Obama signed it into law on July 22nd of 2016, but he didn't fund it. And a bill without funding is like, is worthless. And, but the next year they put a billion dollars into it and it provided every police officer, first responder and fireman in the country to have Narcan on uh, the government's paying for it. And uh, before nobody was carrying it because it was expensive, it was, and and no one, no one they would all say we don't have the budget uh, to pay for it. So, so they got it. They got it moving. So every every first responder in the country should have it. But lo and behold, a couple of weeks ago, I run into a deputy sheriff from Miami, Florida, and he says they don't carry it, and I couldn't believe it because they don't even have to buy it, and. So I immediately, uh, hearing that, got on the phone with the sheriff and the mayor, and now they're carrying it. And they will save about 3,000 lives a year by carrying it. But in in Orlando, uh, I was on the, uh, three years ago, I was on the heroin task force, and there were 30 people on the heroin task force, and only three people even knew what a Narcan or Naloxone was. and. And nobody was, none of the police were carrying it. And I conjoled them. I educated them first, and then I conjoled them into carrying it. And that's when they had to actually pay money to carry it. I was able to get them a 
a discount from the company that makes uh, Narcan, but still it was expensive. But they decided to carry it, and they have saved a thousand lives a year for the last two years since they've been carrying it. And one deputy pulled me aside one day and said, "Mr. Siegel, I'm so glad you got us carrying Narcan." He said, uh, "He said uh, uh, if I had to leave one thing home." between my Narcan and my gun. He said, I'd leave my gun home because my Narcan will save more lives than my gun will. So now they feel empowered when they come across somebody uh, that's unconscious and they revive them with Narcan. Somebody could be laying on the ground, turning blue, one breath from death, and within two to five minutes after getting Narcan, they... They, they're sitting up and telling them what they took. Before they they would see somebody laying on the ground, they would call 911 or their call for emergency services. And by the time they 15, 20 minutes later, by the time they got there, they took the body uh, to the morgue. And so it's made such a difference in every community. And and to hear that Miami was not using it now now puts me on another whole mission. And that is, I got to find out who's not using it so I can get them, put pressure on them to start using it by having the sheriffs and, and police chiefs in the places where they're using it to contact them and tell them they, that they're crazy not to be carrying it. Meanwhile, you, when we first spoke on Monday, you uh, shared with me um, a little bit of a story about a wrestler a professional wrestler by the name of Mark Merrow, who really inspired you and you heard him speak and you decided to partner with him on a new prevention initiative, didn't you? Exactly. Uh, I, I happened to run across his, uh, his speech on, on the YouTube or on the internet. And I was so impressed. Actually, I went after I listened to his speech, I had a little tear running down my, from my eye. I think it'll be clear why David was so drawn to Mark Merrow after you listened to this clip from a presentation he made in 2015. My mom would be at all my sporting events. Let's say I was playing football, okay? My mother would be on the sidelines, and if the play on the field started going one way, my mother would run along like, Mark, get him, get him! I'd be like, oh my gosh. <laughs> I'd get in the huddle with the other guys, they go, Mark, is that your mother? I go, no, I never saw her before in my life. <laughs> the greatest gift my mother ever gave me, she believed in me. I have overdosed on drugs on three occasions where I should have been dead. But I believe I was kept here for a reason. You show me your friends, I will show you your future. How do I know this? I hung out with losers and I became the biggest loser of them all because I gave up everything I dreamt about as a little boy because of who I chose to surround myself with. My friends would drive me home at two, three, four in the morning. We'd be drunk and high, laughing in the car. We'd pull up in front of my house in New York. they go, Mark, Mark, the light's on. i go, oh man, my mother's up. See, my mom wouldn't go to bed until she knew her son was still alive. I'd walk in, she'd say, hi Mark, how was your night? I go, it was good mom, I'm just gonna go to bed. She goes, can I, can I talk to you for a minute? I go, mom, I'm tired, I'm just gonna go to bed. She goes, Mark, I haven't seen you all day and all night. Can I please talk to you? I said, man, just leave me alone. You bug me. I'd slam my bedroom door. 
on the one person who believed in me. I was on a worldwide tour and we were wrestling overseas in Japan. After my wrestling match, I went upstairs in my hotel room and I fell asleep. There was a knock at my door at three o'clock in the morning. I got out of bed and I looked through the safety window and I could see it was a Japanese promoter. So I opened the door and he said, Mark, you need to call home. There's been an emergency. I went and got on the hotel room phone. I called back to the United States and said, hey, what's going on? I said, Mark, I don't know how to tell you this. I said, just tell me what happened. All of a sudden, started crying. They go, Mark, I can't tell you. I said, just say it. They said, Mark, your mother died. I just threw the phone down. I ran out of my hotel room. I took the elevator to the lobby and when the doors opened up, I just ran out into the street. I mean, there was no cars, there was no people. It's three o'clock in the morning. And I walked down the middle of a street in Hiroshima, Japan. And I remember looking up and just saying, Mom, I am so sorry. I flew home for her funeral and I was so nervous to walk up to her casket. So I just stood way in the back. And I kept looking from a distance. I kept thinking to myself, Mom, please wake up. Please get up. And then I finally got the nerve to walk up to her. And as I got closer, I could see my mom for the first time. I mean, she was so beautiful. She, she was dressed in white. I mean, she looked like an angel. And I just stood over and I said, Mom, you are my hero. Everything I am, everything I hope to be was because of you. You loved me so much. You gave me a life. You're the only one that ever believed in me. How did I repay her? By getting drunk, by getting high, by getting stupid, by hanging out with losers? For what? All she ever wanted to do was talk to me. I wish I could talk to you now, Mom. I wish you could see what I'm doing. Why couldn't I have been a better son? We are defined by our choices. But if you surround yourself with people involved in drugs and alcohol and pills, it's a dead end. I'm not here to preach to you. I'm here to tell you I lived that life. It leads to broken hearts, broken relationships, broken dreams, and death. For what? To get high? If you have a mother or a father, when you go home, tell them how much you love them. See, my whole life was about being rich and famous. I had to be a millionaire. I had to win the race. I had to win the race to expense my marriage, my family, my friends for what? To be all alone in the world? I learned what is truly important, and that is how precious this gift of life is and our families and how quickly it can be taken away. See, I no longer live in time. I live in moments. See, it's not what's in your pocket that matters. It's what's in your heart that truly matters. Love, love is just a word until somebody comes along and gives it meaning. You, you're the meaning. So after watching this, I contacted him and he lives, he lives in, in Orlando. And actually, I do of him, but I didn't know that he was the speaker. I, uh, but uh, 
He retired from wrestling 12 years ago and he went on the speaking uh, circuit. He's been speaking in schools, mostly high schools, for the last 12 years. And uh, as I said, after watching him, he's very effective. So I thought, I need, I, I want to stop these kids before they start, but let's get to them before they even start drugs. And that's in 14, 15. And when they're beginning middle school. So I thought uh, if I could get him and about a hundred like him to go into the 27,000 middle schools in the country, I could get these kids to stop before they even start. And so I, I hired him. Uh, he changed his format to include the Victoria Siegel story uh, in, in his speech. He does pretty much basically the same speech that he's always done, but he's added Victoria uh, story into it. And, and, and I've got about 15 other people that also want to get on the speaking tour. I've just started... So we're doing a gala on October 25th at my hotel, the Westgate Hotel in Las Vegas. And it's the Black Tie Gala. We have a lot of entertainment, like we have Creed is entertaining, Rebecca Holden. Uh, uh, we have uh, Barry Manilow is going to be. And we have a lot of entertainment, but mainly it's, it's the raise money to have the speakers bureau uh, and and get to the kids before they start. But then uh, yesterday I learned about these drug-free clubs of America. And I said, and, and I said, you know, once Mark speaks to a group and you saw the reaction, they really react. In fact, some of the kids actually wrote him letters. And one kid I remember said, I was, I was going to kill myself on Friday, but I heard Mark speak on Thursday, and now I realize I got a whole life to live, live, and I, my life is too important, and I'm no longer going to kill myself. Things like that, which which is great, but uh, he gets letters all the time how how he saved their kids' life. He gets letters saying, "They, I'm hanging out with." guys that are doing drugs and I would have been like them until I heard your speech. But what happens, then I realized that yesterday, after listening about the drug-free club, what happens a week later when the kids are no longer under the ether from Mark's speech or someone's speech? uh, Do they revert back the way they were before? When David and I talked for the first time, he shared his vision to stop the kids before they start. And it resonated with me because those are the same words that Angie Ferguson, the executive director of Drug Free Clubs of America, used when she described their mission to me. Angie described how Drug Free Clubs of America got started in a podcast we did in 2017. And here's a clip. My dad was working in the firehouse in Cincinnati, Ohio, And I was working in real estate at the time and he called me on the phone one day and he said, can you come down to the firehouse? I'm sitting here with another firefighter and um, we have something we'd like to bounce off you. 
And so I said, sure. So it was lunchtime and it was going into the winter season. So things were slowing down for real estate for me that year. I stopped down at the firehouse and they told me this concept. Nothing had been established yet, but they just had this idea where um, they were frustrated about everything that had been happening, all of the runs that they go on, the tragedies they witness the heartbreak that they see, not just overdose, but mm-hmm. drug abuse in general, violence mm-hmm. and um, abandonment and just all kinds of familial issues. And um, they were just really frustrated that it seems like there's so much that's done after drug addiction or even just drug use sets in, but not a lot is done to keep people from using in the first place. Their focus was primarily high school. Why, you know, what can we do in high school? They said, well, what if we would offer students the chance to be tested and if they passed their drug test, they would get rewarded for choosing to be a part of it. And it was just this one-off idea. They bounced it off of the school on a Wednesday and they said, okay, anybody who comes in tomorrow with this permission slip, you can get them free to the basketball game on Friday. And they had a huge response just with that one thing. They said, I will be drug tested in exchange for getting in free to the basketball game on Friday. Wow. And that was it. A one for one. It was that easy. Yep. You be drug tested and you get into the the basketball game on Friday for free. And they had a great response. So from there, they thought, could we develop a whole program based on this? And what if there were more kids involved or what if there were more schools? What if there were more businesses? What if it were all year? And that's how Drug-Free Clubs of America got started. And so the Drug-Free Clubs is the, is the, uh, the great, a great follow-up where it's going to keep the kids off of drugs and give them incentives and not to use drugs. And, and uh, I'm so excited about it that uh, we're, we already are, are it's only been one, not even a, a 24 hours. We're already taking steps. I've already named it. It's going to be called the, the Victory Clubs, uh, and it and it's uh, we've already got a, having a logo made. We've already got it cop, uh, cop being copyrighted, and and uh, uh, it's going to be it's going to be uh, uh, drug free clubs of America taking it to the next level. David Siegel operates with a sense of urgency that I haven't witnessed anywhere before. Within a 24-hour period of learning about the Drug-Free Clubs of America, he had already talked to the executive director. He had scheduled a two-day meeting with her to discuss a nationwide rollout program. He'd come up with a name for his new initiative. He had people working on a copyright, and he named the national director of the program. All within 24 hours of learning of this new program. I can really see a million kids marching from the mall in Washington that are all drug-free. I mean, I, I see this such a game-changer. Uh, this drug epidemic is just, is, is just taking away all our future generation. We're at two, 200 young people are dying every day. The future Bill Gates and the future Steve Jobs, uh, you know, we're losing the cure for cancer. We're losing inventions we'll never see, uh, uh, movies we'll never see, uh, um, uh, stories we'll never read. 
I mean, I mean, and we got to do something to end it. And this is this is just re-energized me. I'll tell you. I mean, I've been I, I I've been motivated, but this just I can't tell you how much this has done because I I now see a an easy it's a simple solution. A simple solution: make these kids, give them enough benefits that they have a reason for no other reason than. I mean, they should be have a reason not to use drugs anyway. Just the fact that have a a clean, sober life. But this gives them a reason and gives them an incentive to be um, clean. This will get them through school, get them through college, get them through middle school, high school, college. On the edge of making a, on the beginning of a huge change in this country. I, I don't know how to do anything on a small way. I only know how to take something just like uh, 40 years ago when I, someone introduced me to timeshare. I liked the, I liked the concept and I, I, I took, I started with 16 villas in the back of an orange grove in Orlando. And today the 16 villas are about 17,000 around the country. If it was a hotel, it would be about 40,000 rooms. And, uh, but it all started with somebody planted a, an idea in my head. And I liked it and I took off with it. This is the way I feel about this. And I have the resources and I have the manpower. And I have the creative people and uh, uh, to get this done. And I have the contacts. I kind of look at my daughter gave her life unknowingly, but she gave her life to save thousands. You know, I've been told that through the CARA Act and getting Narcan across the country that many as 300,000 lives have been saved. There's a lot of people who lose a child, say it's from pneumonia or say it's from uh, uh, the flu or heart condition because the stigma of saying my son died from an old uh, drug overdose is too great. And then, and then in order to uh, say that a person has died from a drug overdose, you have to test their blood. And all across the country, in coroner's offices, medical examiner's offices, there are thousands, tens of thousands of vials of blood that are untested because it costs money to test this. And they say, listen, the person's dead. What's the difference? As we conclude our interview, David shared a last wish from his daughter. Well, number one, if you have teenage children, we came out with a book called Victoria's Voice. It's sold on Amazon and in Barnes & Noble. And it has all the information in it that I've learned in the last, of uh, four years. Had I had that information four years ago, my daughter would still be alive today. But more importantly, it also has my daughter's entire, a reprint of her entire diary. And, and it's in exact form. 
Here's a clip of some coverage by ABC News earlier this year. Victoria's diary in death, revealing a secret life her parents never knew. Their decision to publish it prompted by Victoria herself. In the throes of her addiction, the teen once texted a friend and asked him to tell her mother the location of her diary, only if she died. Okay, so this is her text. I've never shown anyone my journal, but there's no one else I would rather pass it on to than you. My business is now everyone else's business. And it starts off as she was a sweet little, uh, you know, 13-year-old, 12-year-old girl, beautiful handwriting. She was very artistic. It's got all her her drawings and all in it. And then it takes her through all her drug uh, years. And she must have had a a premonition, uh, premonition that she was going to die from a drug overdose because she left instructions with a friend of hers that if anything ever happens to me, tell my mother where my diary is and tell her that she can reprint it, that my, my life is now, my business is now everybody's business. And I hope by reprinting it, it makes her famous. I tell you, I can't even talk about this without choking up. And she said, and if you, and she said, mom, if you ever get an award, she said, I'll be looking down on you. I'm not sure how many families would have the courage to publish their daughter's diary if they were in the same situation as David and Jackie Siegel. But I can tell you, Victoria's words will save many lives in the years to come. Next, David shares his vision for the Victory Club. I'm going to take this not only through high school, but through college as well. I couldn't sleep last night. I was so excited. And, uh, already already I've, I've got, it's going to be called Victory Clubs. We're going to declare victory over the drug epidemic. We're going to have incentives. Uh, you know, I, I can see having kids coming to the White House, and we're going to have all, all kinds of incentives. We're going to give them, we're going to give them a card with their name on it, like, uh, like almost like a American Express black card uh, with a number. And uh, the, the, can you imagine taking their girlfriend to a movie and they, they hand the card to card there and they give them a free ticket to get in? And, you know, they go to concerts. If, if this if this club will get them better seats better seats at sporting events, uh, better parking at school. You know, the big thing about school is parking spaces. Uh, you know, I like the, Angie said her kids get, get off five minutes early so they can beat the rush when they get out of school and stuff like that. Uh, we're going to, we're going to, like I said, take her program and, and take it up a couple notches. To learn more about Victory Clubs, David Siegel's new national prevention program, join David along with Creed and Barry Manilow at his gala in Las Vegas on October 25th for an incredible evening to celebrate and help launch Victory Clubs of America. You can learn more about that by going to victoriasiegelfoundation.org. That's victoriasiegelfoundation.org. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for listening to this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things 
making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.